everyone, and welcome to another episode of Life After Discard. I'm Lauren, your host. I'm really excited. We have another amazing guest here today. I have with me today Alana Davidson. Uh, she is a best-selling author of the book, Finding Your Own Happy, The Soul Searcher's Guide to Peace and Happiness in Everyday Life. She specializes in helping empathetic and sensitive folks put an end to emotional exhaustion, drain and overwhelm, heal their past pain and trauma, and reclaim their confidence so that they can experience true peace and happiness and navigate through the world with ease. Her professional training spans decades of study and exploration in fields of consciousness, psychology, personal development, and energy healing, along with her natural empathy empathetic and intuitive abilities inform her work with clients. Uh, well, I have, I don't really have a lot of words when I, when, um, Alana actually sent her bio to me, I just felt an immediate connection. Um, Alana, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. Yes. It's, it's lovely to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah. Um, so I just want to start off with what, you know, you and I had spoken before about this. What made you want to come here and tell your story? And, you know, you wrote a book, you're, um, you're very intuitive. There's a lot, that's a lot in a bio, which is amazing. So if you yes. could just tell us, <laughs> tell our listeners a little bit about you, what made you want to go into this kind of work and yeah, you have the floor. Yeah, great. So, well, a couple. So there's kind of two questions there. What made me want to come on the show and what got me into my work? So starting with my work was decades of struggle with often suicidal level depression that I just couldn't seem to shake. I did a lot of, as you'll see from my bio, I did a lot of different things, energy healing, psychology, personal development, self-help, spiritual practice. And there was always some layer that I just couldn't get beyond. I couldn't seem to shake. And so I, at one point, I hit a rock bottom in my life where I decided either I'm going to die, I'm going to be done having a life, or I'm going to figure out how to be on this planet in a way that isn't so intensely painful for me. And I'm going to get to the bottom of it. And obviously, I chose that path. And it just put me on this quest of deep searching and exploration to say, like, what is it that is going to change this for me? And as I did that, and as I discovered different things that started to shift my experience, lighten my journey, so to speak, I was encountering other folks that were struggling with a lot of the similar things that I had struggled with, and also seemed to be not fully aware of some of the things that were impacting them such as being highly empathic and and feeling the energy of other people. And I was like, gosh, if only you had the information that it's taken me all these years to discover for myself, things could be so much easier for you. And so that's really where the book came from is like, here, have everything it took me years to figure out that got me out of this really dark place that if you put them into practice in your own life, might just take you, you know, in a matter of months or even a year to really shift your experience. Um, so that's kind of the background, the book. And then the life after discard, I personally had a very intense relational experience that 
I don't think I would have had the understanding or really gotten what it's like to be with a narcissistic kind of person until I went through it personally. And then from that, I have worked with several clients who are going through um, sort of experiencing life after discard. Or in one case, I had a client whose uh, ex-husband was a diagnosed narcissist and she was working on her divorce, but they shared custody with a kid. So how to navigate that, how to work within that framework to help um, her be successful, basically. Um, And one of the things that we talked about before coming on the show was this piece of subtlety. And this is something I've walked through a lot of my life is subtle forms of abuse can be really confusing and really hard to put your finger on, but can twist you up very deeply. And that's what happened to me. It's like, is this, isn't this, like, is this a problem? Isn't this a problem? Is it me? Is it them? And being on that very fine edge of constantly questioning yourself because it was nothing so blatant or extreme or obvious to say, oh yeah, that's definitely abusive behavior. No way. It was always keeping me questioning and questioning my sanity, questioning like, am I just overreacting? And so for me, that's a really valuable, important conversation to have because I think there's a there's a vein in which, whether it's from a partner or a parenting or childhood, where you know something doesn't feel right and didn't right. is off, but you can't put your finger on it. And that that has been sort of my life story of feeling a little bit crazy for lack of a better term. So that's sort of answering your first two questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I gave you a loaded question. Yeah, I I definitely want to elaborate on a little bit of what you just said. The words you just said hit me, that subtlety is the shit that can kill you. That is the stuff that I call it the crazy making. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, the, the subtle forms of abuse I feel like in some ways, I've, again, everyone's, every survivor's experience is different, but I've heard several survivors in my, even in my own therapy practice say, and this is get this gets really heavy here. Um, I heard them say one time, Lauren, I would almost have rather them hit me. And that way I would see right then and there, they're a bad person. But like what you were yeah. saying, it's that, is this, or isn't it, is it me? What's going on? And I really think, and I'm sure you, I, I bet you can elaborate on this, which is, I think, informing your work, which is amazing. People who are extremely sensitive and extremely empathetic, you are prime targets for these types of personalities. Would you agree? Yeah. So a lot of people who are empathic are also come from some sort of traumatic background. Oftentimes, it comes together with a people pleasing tendency. Right. And so that makes you very susceptible to manipulation, to being caught up in these kinds of dynamics and patterns. You're always trying to put your best foot forward. You're trying to make things right. You're trying to do all the work 
I think there's a thing that happens where when you're in that question, that subtle question, then as a people pleaser, you really start to say like, oh, well, what else can I do to make this better? What else can I do to improve the situation? What can I do so this person treats me better? Or like probably many of your listeners have experienced the intermittent reward cycle gets enacted. So there's the moment where everything seems great and the person is really nice to you and really kind to you. And like you had this connection and then it's gone. And as an empathic person, as a people pleaser, when that, when they start withholding that affection or attention or care and then tell you that, at least in my case, it was like, oh, you have unresolved issues. We need to get you to therapy. We need to take care of your stuff. We need to get you stable. Right. And then it's, I'm going to just So when you start showing emotion, right. In other words, when you start having authentic emotions of that, um, because it sounds like what you're saying, and I'm going to get, that's going to be my next question about the first warning sign, but yeah. Um, that intermittent reinforcement of like just love and you're just amazing and this, but then it can be very subtle things. Some subtle forms of abuse, um, they can look like things like the silent treatment or stonewalling Mm -hmm. or just any of that, or like subtle jokes. Or if you bring something up, like you bring something up and say, Hey, like this is not comfortable for me or like what's happening. Are you okay? Right. For example, or like something feels, and as an empath, right, you feel the yes. unobvious things. So you're like, what's going on here? Something feels off. And they're like, what are you talking about? You just have issues. You're making, you know, we need to get you some help. You, I mean, in my case, right, you have unresolved stuff, but actually no, the, co- the guy was kind of being a jerk at the same time he was being like, the shoulders I cry on when my grandmother died yes. and like wiping oh, the tears gosh. off my cheeks, but then like not responding to my communications on the other side. And so this cognitive dissonance is in play to say like, here is somebody who is showing up for me in my life in a time when very few other people are right in a way that is valuable, right? That, that has meaning that feels supportive But on the other hand, there's this whole other level of mistreatment or like just lack of regard or care happening that doesn't track with this, this caring person that I've experienced. Yeah, it makes you feel feel nuts. What's really going on here? Is it just me? Am I the crazy one? Like, wait a minute, but they really showed up for me there. So they must care. They must. But then like, there's a total disregard that they're not willing to admit is happening. And yeah, so it's totally nuts and it's totally crazy. And just telling you, like, if you're going through this, you're not crazy. (laughs) No, you're not freaking crazy. Um, So it sounds to me kind of like my situation, you dealt with someone more on the covert end because that really does Mm -hmm. fuck you up that like, intermittent reinforcement because wow i'm sorry alana i just have to pause with that powerful image you just gave me here's a person who's not responding to me communicating with my needs yet 
you're here wiping the tears off my cheeks when I had a loss. That's really powerful. And that is just, I think, a whole other level of dark, in my opinion, because, um, yeah, it's, and I don't know if you found this too with the, the, you know, the people that you work with, people who have, who are just highly empathetic and highly sensitive, they do tend mm-hmm. to have things like people pleasing tendencies or like an an- anxious mm-hmm. attachment issue. Um, yeah. I was yeah very open with my, I call him my Peter Pan. I don't even want to say his name anymore, but I, um, I was yeah. very open about, you know, yeah, I do have anxiety and I have to process things. And at, at first they're so understanding about that. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. guess what? It gets weaponized against you. If I, would start crying about something like, Hey, this is really bothering me. This is hurting me. Oh, well, that's just your anxiety. And that's just your mood getting fragile. And then of course yeah. the people pleasing part, and I'm sure you experienced this too. Cause I, I do want to get into that detail of, mm-hmm. um, Oh my gosh, well, what did I do? I can work on it. I'm so sorry. And blah, blah, blah. And yeah. so, mm-hmm. so what you gave me one example, but what would you say was your first I don't want to say a red flag. It might be a yellow flag. Like, oh, well, this is kind of weird. What was your first well, subtle I'll just thing say that you right noticed? Off that the speed of the relationship was a red flag, right? I didn't realize it at the time, but the speed of connection, the love bombing, like leaving gifts and, and notes on my car and um, that kind of thing, right? So all of mm-hmm. that, like very fast, very... And actually there was a, there was an instance early on, right? He presented himself as being really conscientious about how he was engaging with me, how like our physical relationship, very respectful of that. And then like something switched, right? It was very different, but I was already, and there was a traumatizing moment So then there was a trauma bond that occurred Mm. and then I'm just trying to recover the intimacy that I felt that I lost. Now, years later, I realized it was all a game and an illusion and that thing wasn't entirely real, but it's like trying to get back to that, that to be okay, to make it okay. And I think that's true of a lot of like trauma experience, especially that if you have a similar pattern from your own childhood and then you're in a trauma kind of initiated intimate experience that you're just scrambling to try to make it okay. Because, well, when you're a kid, you can't leave you're stuck there. So if there's not a validation on the part of a person who's uh, harming you or someone else in your life that is a secure attachment, like an auntie or someone else, right, that can can validate like, oh, no, that's not cool. Like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. If nobody in your world is going to validate that, what are you going to do? You're going to twist yourself in all sorts of different ways configurations to try to make yourself okay and make the relationship okay. And so if you have that in your sort of upbringing, your childhood at a time when you had no power to actually leave or change the situation, 
and you get in a dynamic that mirrors that in adulthood, you're caught, you're very much caught in a subconscious sort of repetition cycle where you're trying to, that little inner child part of yourself is trying to recover the same way they did when they were little um, versus having the clarity to see like, oh no, like that's weird. That's messed up, whatever. Um, Goodbye. But it takes a lot, especially when it's at that subtle level. And what it, something that came up when you were talking that I really wanted to share because I really struggled on, is he, isn't he, is he narcissistic? Is he that way? Is he this way? Like what, like still to this day, I'm not clear, like what was really happening except for then I moved into looking at what can I know for certain and what is really clear to me and what is the impact of this experience? I don't know if he's a narcissist or not, but I do know he could never, he always had a well-reasoned justification about how he was right and I was wrong. And he could never admit that he was wrong. And aside from like some very like surface level things that probably made him look good, would admit that he was sorry or that, that it's so different than like, oh, I'm sorry you're hurting. Like I, that was unintentional, but like, oh, I can see how that was being like, no, it was like a long-winded, well-reasoned explanation about how he was justified in what he did and how my upset about what he did was the problem, which to me is like my definition of gaslighting is basically you're making my reaction to your harmful behavior the problem rather than the behavior itself. Right. So my reaction is like you said, your anxiety is the problem. Your upset is the problem. Not what mm-hmm. the person said or did that maybe was a little shady or off or so forth. Um, so really, I think the gift, if I want to be as bold to say that there is a gift through this experience, because I think all of life teaches us things. The gift yes. of a gaslighter or a narcissist is to teach us to trust ourselves and trust our own sense of reality 1000% and to figure out how to get to a place where we're anchored in our own knowing, our own understanding and our own truth and stop needing it to be validated from anybody outside of ourselves. And that's kind of the place I, I had to look at the impact. And I, at some point I was like, this is destroying me. It's destroying my life. It's destroying my sense of self and my self-esteem and whether or not I am the one that is screwed up and just has issues or not, or there's something else going on here. I can't do this anymore because it's destroying my life and I have to make a change. And that was really where I got to is like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know, but it's a mind fuck. Excuse my French. And no, this is a raw I just podcast. Gotta get back to a place where I can feel a little bit more functional, a little bit more sane. Yeah. And even if, and then in other, I had another relationship actually, where I started to go into this twisted up place of like, oh, well, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just the one that has the issues that are not resolved. I was like, wait a minute. In other relationships in my life, do I feel this way? Do I have this questioning myself and this doubt? I'm like, no, I don't really. So, well, maybe I'm self-deceptive, but I'd rather just be self-deceptive and have relationships that are much easier and work for me 
than be in this mind twisting space. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so again, I know you said like the first warning sign was just the love bombing and just how yeah. fast it was. Um, so when did you start getting a sense? Cause obviously this is called life after discard. When did you start getting the sense that this discard was going to happen? Like who initiated it? Um, well, definitely it was on his part and we went, he came and visited my family, like probably like six weeks after I met him or something insane. Right. <laughs> and then it was shortly after that trip, probably where he's like, it's something to along the lines of it's too much romantic pressure. What? And I was like, what the <laughs> hell dude? You, or like too much expectation, right? I'm like, what the hell, dude? You're the one that set up the expectation, right? You're the one that set all of these things. So that was sort of the beginning of like some disillusion. Yeah. But I think it was even, you know, is even before that, right? When I was upset about this instance that was traumatizing for me in an intimate moment. And then he wasn't really supportive of me. And I was in like full, I think fight or flight kind of trauma response and trying to recover that. So it was actually very quickly in the process mm -hmm. that. Yeah. My last guest that I had on, um, we talked about that, about going into that, yeah, a trauma response, like a fight or flight, because when you feel yeah. that discard ready to happen, you go into, I think I called it on my last show, damage control. It's like, oh gosh, you feel this person here's is pulling away. <laughs> here's another thing that I'm just hitting on also. Like, I mean, I maybe I've thought about this before, but like physical intimacy, right? There mm -hmm. was a, a sweetness and a tenderness and an affection that then really shifted. And it was like, it became something totally different. Like that was the thing, one of the aspects that really drew me in. And it was like, I was being touched and caressed yes. in all these ways that like, were what I had been longing for for my whole life. Right. And then mm -hmm. it's like, it stopped being that it started being something completely different and yeah just so oh, yeah very so much so ways. and that's another thing i believe they target on you too is yeah i was the same way um i just yeah that the physical touch and not just in a sexual way but just like he would always say i can't wait to just cuddle with you and hold you and and of course everybody every empath Every people pleaser and me being a recovering Wendy, everybody wants that. Of course they do. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. again, we have to start, and I'm sure you talk about this in your work too. We have to start looking at the bigger picture of that and doing this inner work. And I'm sure you agree, like the cuddling and affection, that's just basics. I mean, that is just basic want yeah. in a romantic relationship. I don't, that should not be a wonder like a big glorious thing that oh my gosh I finally have that yeah. no it's, that's that's an expectation like, now damn it for me anyway <laughs> it's like the starved people right the yes I feel like there's such a deficit for those of us that 
end up magnetized toward these kinds of people, it's often because we've had such a deficit of care and love in our lives and affection and attention, right? And so we become so hungry for that sort of empty cup to be filled and it does feel so good and there, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like, it it's this contrast, this deficit, this empty cup thing versus like, if we have an expectation that our needs get met. Also, I think this belief that for me, there's this pattern um, belief somewhere underneath there, maybe that I'm not worthy or I'm not lovable or that I can't do relationships. And so then I'm trying to prove in everything, every relationship that I'm in, the converse of that. So if you're not lovable, then you're using the relationship to try to prove your lovability versus when you get to the place where you just know those things, I can have a healthy relationship I am lovable. There is someone out there that can see me or meet me. It's it's such a different dynamic because when you get out the having to out of the having to prove, you get into the space of choice. And in the space yes. of choice, you say, does this work for me or does this not work for me? But like I don't have to prove that it works to prove that I'm okay, to prove that I it's like I know that I can have something good. And so is this good or not? Versus like, let me prove how good I am at relationship or let me prove that somebody really loves me. I love that. I think that needs to be your buzz phrase, space of choice. (laughs) I mean, that feels as a, you know, an empath and a recovering people pleaser. I definitely feel like it feels so powerful when we finally reach that, that space that space of choice Mm -hmm. of like, you know, um, this is just not working for me. But when you start realizing this has nothing to do with you, um, or your deficits. Well, again, we all have stuff on our own we can work on. I'm not saying, um, and I've said this in the very beginning, um, just when I tell my own story and just guess, it's like, I'm not sitting here and saying I'm some perfect person that doesn't have, have some things to work on. That's not the case. So I would say like on that vein, the issues that we have are not the issues that the person when we're in relationship with makes us think we have, right? The issues that we have are why we choose to, why we can't see the problematic dynamic that is occurring. Indeed. Why we stay with or continue to participate in a highly dysfunctional and confusing dynamic, right? The issues that we have are thinking that we are the problem and that we need to fix ourselves in order to fix the relationship, which is very different, right? That's what that the, the abusive person wants you to think is you're broken and you need to heal yourself in order to be in relationship with me. There is healing to do, but it's more around recognizing that you're worthy already and yes. that you don't have to settle for or get entangled with this kind of things. And yes, it preys on your vulnerabilities. And yes, maybe you do have unresolved childhood trauma. Maybe you do have these issues, but that does not mean that you're not worthy of a healthy, supportive, caring relationship. There are plenty of people who have still traumas that they're working through or emotional struggles that have 
healthy, supportive, nurturing, quality relationships. Like just because you have those things doesn't mean like you're a, you're responsible for like your unlovable or you have to be perfectly or you have to be perfectly healed in order to be loved and in order to be and that's that's the in a healthy relationship perpetuated yes but yeah yeah i think there is a place of healing which is to say like oh yeah i'm susceptible this to, to this dynamic i tend to be like i can relate to the wendy um peter pan dynamic this person happened to be a contrast of that surprisingly but a lot of my other relationships were up until that point were very much the rescuer the healer the lost boy the mothering and actually I went to after my last relationship I haven't been in a relationship in about three and a half years but after that last one I went and met with a sort of psychic healer person and one of the things she said in that session is she said they're telling me you're not Wendy. I was like, oh, that is so perfect. Whoa. Yeah. And like, yes, I absolutely get that message. You're that right. That is amazing. I need, I need to have a man, not a boy in my life. Yes. So. Oh my gosh. I knew that's why we connected. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's very problematic. Like, and I always feel like I have to clarify, um, you know, because when I talk about my past relationship, I'm not here to shame anyone who's into hobbies, you know, like, you know, pool, darts, um, I mean, any of that. It's fun, poker. Yeah. But, but the difference mm-hmm. between that and an actual man is most men, they recognize, well, that's a hobby. And if that is your professional career, that's great. But you also have good work ethic and everything. But yeah. a lot of people with that Peter Pan dynamic basically they just don't want to let go of any dopamine they want it to be toys and games and play all the time right are and they so, are they able to show up for the harder stuff of life are they able absolutely to absolutely not i want yeah, be responsible you know hold the job whatever not. it is and so yeah. again that's like our work is to notice our tendencies and i think there is like in some way for a wounded person there's a place of safety that we go to in choosing people that we think we can help and we can mother and we can care for. It's like, yes. I had to be really honest with myself and say, it's sort of like superior. It's a little bit of being a superior jerk in some ways, like in my it life is. when I think I can rescue all these people. Oh, but it's, it's, it's very also much an ego. Yeah. It's a protective yeah. me- mechanism because it feels a little safer. Like if you think about, and I was thinking about this just like last night, what would it be like to have someone showing up in your life that really is like, Hey, I want to be with you. Like the level of vulnerability that brings up for people with somebody who's actually a secure person who is like, I want to, I want to be here for you. It can mm-hmm. throw our whole system out of whack when we're used for sure. to abandonment, when you're used to all of those kinds of things and requires a level of like healing also to be like, okay, I can receive yeah. this, right? Because that, it, there's a safety in being the helper, the rest oh, for the sure. giver. The- and, and Alana, a hundred percent. I love what you just said, because I, I had to acknowledge that too. Like, 
it's definitely not our fault that we had the subtle abuse yeah. happen to us. But however, what I had to sit with, and I'm sure you did too, it's, yeah, there is a little bit of an ego when he, when Peter Pan finally flew through the window and, oh my gosh, you're perfect. I love you. I'm going to commit to you. I, I wonder if just part of that was just an ego. It's like, oh my gosh, I got the commitment phobe to commit. How amazing. So yeah, we have to yeah. sit and acknowledge that a part of that is ego too. And I think that's part of the healing process of recognizing so we yeah. don't get into these types of relationships again. Absolutely. And, and so much of it is rooted, at least in my experience in the work that I've done with, with myself and with clients, there's so much that comes from our history and then mm -hmm. a whole bunch of stuff that is really until we start to pay attention and do the work it's subconscious we're not even very much recognizing that we're caught in a dynamic with someone or we keep attracting the same people because so my theory is you keep attracting the same type of person trying to resolve the central conflict of your childhood in it. So let me just back that up a little. So if you took on the experience of not being good enough in your childhood, for example, let's say that's your central conflict. I'm not good enough. And then you thought, I'm going to do all the things to get my parents to finally love me and finally be there for me, show up for me. But the truth is, so it's always premised on a lie. The lie was that you were ever not good enough in the first place. You were always good enough. Your parents just failed to meet your needs in the way that they should have, right? And so then you internalized it. And so you're trying to like resolve this lie, but you can never win because it's never true that you weren't good enough. So there's nothing you can do to ever disprove that, right? So then you fast forward into romantic relationship. That is going on in your subconscious. And so you pick out the people with whom you can play out that same dynamic. They're going to mm. not give you the validation that you're looking for. You're going to kind of try to keep proving you're good enough thing and thinking this time I'll win. This time they'll finally give me the thing my parent didn't or could be not good enough. That they'll stay, that they won't leave me, that um, they'll give me the attention that I... Each person's dynamic is different. Um, and for me, it was unavailability. Mm -hmm. When you recognize that actually that thing, that drama that you've been playing around, out with your parents that you've been trying to resolve is actually not where the issue lies. So for me, it was, I realized, oh, my parents choose not to pay attention to me because they choose not to pay attention to me. And it has nothing to do with what I do or how I show up or who I am. It's fully mm -hmm. on them. And when I got that, it's like, so then I can trap trying to get them to pay attention to me because they're going to choose what they're going to choose. And then in my romantic relationships, I can stop choosing the people that aren't giving me the attention that I want. I can just recognize that they're unavailable and say, hey. I don't have to prove anything here. I'm just going to go find somebody that can, that wants to give me attention. And so it yes. breaks this loop and you stop being caught in the cycle because before that, who would I attract? What kind of relationships was I going after? 
always the person that had some level of unavailability that I would try to get them to be available. I'm like, wait, yeah. there's a whole world yeah. of possibility and beyond that, that I can choose. <laughs> right. And we get fixated on that too. So yeah, I, I want to touch on that too, because, you know, from a therapist perspective, and I know you talk about doing a lot of inner child work. Um, yeah, it could be yeah. a number of things. It could be mm-hmm. um, emotionally unavailable parents, or it could be you had wonderful parents, but in my case, just not feeling good enough as a child, bullied a lot over like, you know, physical yeah. appearances, or it could be a lot of things of just, well, I'm yeah. just weird. I'm odd. And I, I'm just never going to be good enough because I, I don't fit in. So yeah, it's a lot of things that you have to do that inner work right. too. It, 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 there's so right. many factors but there's so, in place. I think what I see is there's some lie that you internalized as truth inside of yourself that you thought you were going to fix. So it could come from peers. It could come from some other event that now you're caught in trying to resolve this conflict, you know, right. of like, if I can just be pretty enough. Oh, maybe yes. the issue was not that you weren't pretty enough all along. Maybe people, maybe you were too pretty and people were just jealous of you. So now that they're, you know, or whatever, they're, there's so many things, but to recognize like, oh, I don't have to do this dance anymore. I don't have to be caught in this, like trying to prove, trying to get, I can just choose the things that match what I want. Like I can choose right. somebody who has attention for me. I can choose the person who, who is going to see me and pr- appreciate me for who I am or have that sense of belonging, whatever those things are. Like we can stop being in the hamster wheel of trying to prove this, this thing that is unprovable, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Being stuck. And that's a therapeutic term. Being stuck is such a big thing. A lot of people Mm -hmm. will get stuck in, in one event or one event in childhood or or even a recent one. And, or with this life after discard, it's a whole freaking journey and it's messy because you're, I mean, the more there's research on it, now your your brain chemistry changes like what you were saying earlier about that intermittent reinforcement like oh it's going to feel good mm-hmm. then take it back feel good pull it back well your your brain chemistry changes and you actually have to take that time to let your brain body everything heal so like for me when this discard for me happened in april i mean what is it almost 9 9 months now almost um, mm-hmm. I'm just now within, within the last month or so starting to reach like homeostasis, like just, yeah. I'm not subconsciously in fight or flight. Um, I still have some anxiety about some things, but I, I'm not ha- having to use the, the pills as much anymore. Like, because I'm not where I was before. And I love yeah. how you talk about too, that some things are just unconscious, subconscious, because once he was gone and I finally decided I'm not allowing him back in my life again, no contact, Mm -hmm. my body started to just almost like rejuvenate in a way. So did you have a similar experience with that? Um, well, definitely it was a slow regaining of my own sense of self and my own trust of myself. But there's a couple of things that stand out in what you say. One is like the intermittent bonding would it, my therapist said something about this. It's like the most intense form of bonding and connection. It's hardest to break. Like, you know, if you give yes. a dog a treat consistently, you don't have the same influence of if you never know. 
So there's the trauma bonding is very real. I think that speaks to the brain chemistry. Well, and you're essentially an addict. Like they made you yeah, a freaking addict. I'm going I'm to be bold yeah. here. You're, they made you a freaking addict and you have to like, yeah. it's almost like going exactly. through withdrawal. So you have to look at this as like an alcoholic or someone who uses cocaine. And then it takes your, it, it's withdrawal. There's just enough, right? There's just enough of the good to keep you hooked and keep you like questioning yourself. Maybe this, maybe that. Um, somebody said to me, like, right toward the end of when I was like, still, still a little bit in it. Uh, she said, his goal is to keep you off balance and guessing and questioning yourself. Because mm. I was like, well, there's this vibe still. Da, da, da. That really helped me. I was like, so even the things the good level of feeling or the sense of connection that I have or whatever, that is just part of the game to keep me unstable and off balance. And that was kind of the moment I was like, okay, okay. Now I just have to disentangle myself. I have to get his, I'm going like this because it's literally like, so I'm pulling energy out of my head and out of my body. Cause I really like, I just got to unhook all of this from myself. Um, to get back to to me because he had literally it felt like so many hooks in me and was like pulling energetically on me in so many ways um but yeah for the recovery that's a whole other story and probably worth the whole other podcast of what it took for me to recover and how affected and hooked in and um brought to my knees I was for a long time after I I stopped having contact. Yeah. So I do want to get into that for like the the next like 20 or 30 minutes because, you know, the show is called life after discard. So what, what things did you do when it happened? Because obviously you're at your lowest point, just like an addict, like you're probably at your bottom when when you get discarded like that. So what kind of things what kind of healing methods did you start doing and how are you doing today? Yeah, well, today I'm doing great. I mean, it has also been, I think it's probably been five years or something since, since that experience. Uh, I did end up in a rebound relationship, which is part of it. Not what I recommend, but I yeah, realized we're human, after it that relationship, you know, I realized after that relationship ended that the purpose of that relationship was to help me really get over the person before that. Um, so that's a whole nother piece, but um, I just did a lot of the work that I do energy clearing, looking at all the subconscious patterns. Where am I still hooked into him? Am I attached to them? I did cord cutting, releasing, like probably a lot of stuff that people have heard mm. about. And there was a point where it felt like nothing worked. And I was literally getting physical, chest pains to the point I went to urgent care because I'm like, well, maybe this is physical and like so intense, like stabbed in the heart, all this kind of stuff could not seem to shake it. And then now I'm, I'm trying to remember, cause I don't remember entirely, um, where this comes into play. I do remember. So part of what came into play for me, and this is for some listeners, this might not be within your belief system, but I started looking at other lifetimes that I had with this person. 
And oh. so believing in that we've lived more than one lifetime. And what I tell to clients who maybe that's not their belief system is like, you can entertain that as a possibility. I don't for sure 100% know that's the ultimate truth. I know that working from this premise has allowed me to shift and change things in my life that nothing else has allowed me to shift and change. So sort of fast forwarding the story, um, I had been not had any contact with this person for a couple of years. He reached out to me, texted me. I mean, it's it's hilarious. Like to me, the text around here is, "Hey, are we still <laughs> friends? Like, what planet wow. do you live on?" But um, anyway, the the point of the story is, I didn't respond at first, and he kept pushing. I had a feeling he was rubbing, running for public office, and I had a feeling he was trying to influence me, right, in some way because of that. Uh, but the point of the story is somehow he hooked back into me and he started affecting me again. I felt those chest pains coming back. I felt this like intense feeling. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, I got to get past this, right? I cannot go back to that place again. And so I just, I had a friend at the time that was um, into spiritual healing kinds of work also. So her and I, through using the mechanism of muscle testing, which is a way to gain information um, from your subconscious through your body, we just did a whole bunch of inquiry and looked at, and what we came to was like these past lives that I'd had with him. And I'd had many successful, good love relationships with him and past lives with him. And then there was a time when we grew in different directions and he became jealous. And I won't go into all the details, but basically there was like a whole past life dynamic that had played out and he had killed me in a past life. And there was these hooks still that we were still Mm. entangled with. And so I just worked through those and kept clearing those. And finally that was it. I released it and I stopped having the chest pains and I felt like myself again. I felt normal again. And then it hasn't been an issue. I never run into him. Now I don't live in the same place anymore, but this summer I ran into him three times in two days. I was like, what is going on here? (laughs) Uh, But the beauty of of it was like, Oh wow. I am so glad that I am not with that person. And he was with the girlfriend that he had when he left me. Um, I was like, and the person I would have had to become to be with him. Like I, I would never want to have to be that person. And I wouldn't want the life of being his like side chick. Right. Basically. Um, Right. And so for me, the past life disentanglement, was a big piece of it. And also there's another piece that has been relevant in this relationship and some other relationships is like, I was doing all the releasing, all the shedding, all the letting go, like just give it up to the universe, whatever. I realized as a highly empathic person, what was happening is that other person wasn't willing to let me go. And they were still trying to hook into me and attach to me and be connected to my energy. 
And I, I really saw that um, both in this relationship and then the rebound relationship um, that, oh, okay, this is coming from them. And I'm just aware that they're wanting to hold on to me in some way. Wow. That's really powerful. And I'm just, yeah, I I love that so much. And, you know, like you were saying, everybody has different belief systems and we're definitely not trying to push anything on, on anyone, but that's very similar to the work I do like with myself and just clients Mm -hmm. too in therapy, just that narrative therapy, exploring metaphor. Um, yeah, just ways to, ways to release that. Um, Right. If, yeah, I mean, I think I only go to the past life stuff when nothing I've tried from that is contained with this in this lifetime is working and I just can't seem to get through something. And I, I've had that experience with myself and also with some of my clients that it's like when we finally look at some pattern that's playing out from another lifetime, that's where it shifts everything. The relief happens, the the change mm-hmm. happens. And all of my work is based on basically results, I would say. And so if I'm working with somebody yeah. where we're in a conversation, we're doing a piece of like energy clearing work or inquiry. So we'll, we'll ask a bunch of questions. We'll be trying to get to the bottom of something. And then usually I'll circle back around and say, how do you feel now? Does that feel any different? Did it shift for you? Do you feel better? And if they say, no, I feel pretty much the same. I'll say, okay, well, then there's something else, right? Mm -hmm. You want to get to the place where it shifts for you, where you feel lighter, where you have more ease, where you have an emotional release and you feel better. Cause that, that's the whole point of any, to me, that's the whole point of healing is you want to feel better and be able to better function in your life. So like yeah. if you're going and exploring past lives and nothing is shifting or changing, maybe you're on the wrong track, right? But mm-hmm. sure. if that's the thing that all of a sudden gives you a 180 or like relieves you of something that you've been carrying for a really long time, then go with that, right? Whether or not you believe it, if it made the difference, what does it matter? <laughs> yeah, I love that. So my favorite part of, you know, the conclusion of, of the episode. Um, what would you say in summary to our listeners? What would mm-hmm. you say to them directly who are in the midst of it? They just had the discard. They're in so much pain. What would you, what would you say to them in summary and where can people find you to reach out to you? I will link all these things in the show notes, but yeah, I'd like you to just, just give an idea. Yeah. Yeah. So in summary, Um, I just think about like the image that comes to me is just cocooning yourself Mm -hmm. and wrapping yourself up in so much care and so much tenderness and so much love, and then putting yourself around people that see you and that can be kind to you and supportive of you and nurturing of you. And I would also say, get out of trying to figure out what happened Mm -hmm. and trying to make sense of it because you will not make sense of it. And you will just nope. continue to take yourself on the crazy loop. Uh, the more you can be present with yourself and your feelings, what is, what's occurring for me right now? Is there sadness? Is there grief? Is there like, not the thought part, but the feeling part I'm in pain. My heart aches. 
okay, let me be present with the ache in my heart. You know, I have anger. Let me be present with that anger, right? But really getting out of the thoughts because that is just going to trip up your mind and make you go back into spinning and feeling crazy. So I think those are some of the the beginning helpful things. And then if you want to find me, um, Facebook is a great place. Just send me a friend request. I'm pretty sure my hashtag is Alana Magic. <laughs> and um, I'm posting, I'm doing lots of interviews with different topics on empath. I just did one about, um, it's a show about people who have struggled with suicidal ideation. That's coming out in the next couple of days. Um, but that's where a lot of my content content is being shared and a great way to just connect. Um, so I would love to see you there and love to be in, in communication with you there as well. Yes. Okay. So mainly Facebook and then your book, is that where you'll that's available oh, yes. as well. And then if you want to get a free copy of my book, you can go to findingyourownhappybook.com. Um, and Perfect. there's Finding a free download happy book. Okay. Yeah. A free downloadable copy. If you want a physical copy, you can search for it online or um, ask your bookstore to order it and you can get a copy that way. And the book is really, you know, talking a lot about mental health, depression, some of the people pleasing stuff I uncover or cover work with. I talk a lot about working with the subconscious and how to address um, some of your subconscious patterns, so forth like that. Some of the energetic stuff. I do talk a little bit about the past life things in there. So it's it's a whole slew of tools that will help you um, that not particularly applied to narcissistic relationship, but I think everything in there are tools and resources that you can apply to your situation that will help bring you greater understanding and greater ease. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Alana, um, I'm going to end by saying what I say to everybody. Uh, Life looks a hell of a lot better on you after discard. I have to say, Um, thank you so much for being here and just your vulnerability and sharing your healing experiences. I I think so many people are going to get so much out of it because not just like in therapy, one path does not fit all one. Well, one size does not fit all. Um, everybody Absolutely. needs different ways to heal and different tools. So there's so many things available out there. And like what you were saying, I, I, Oh, I love that so much. Cocoon yourself. It is okay. You will get through it. Um, Lana, thank you so, so much. don't expect everybody to understand what you're going no. through. Find the people that do, or if you can't, then just be very protective of yourself because a lot of people are not going to get it and that's okay. And, you know, you have an online community. If yes. that's all you have, then reach out there. Um, but no, you're not wrong. Even if other people just think you should get over it or don't understand what you're going through. Exactly. Exactly. And, and again, it's one of those things, even if they don't understand it, recognize that what you're going through is valid. We, we touched on a lot of things today, um, about Mm -hmm. just your brain chemistry changing. You're going through almost like withdrawals and, you know, a lot of inner child work might need to happen. So yes, reach out to people, even if it's an online community, you know, myself, Alana, we're all here. And And Alana, thank you. I think most people won't get it. Like, like I said in no. the very beginning of this episode, until I went through this kind of experience myself, I don't think I got it at the level I now get it. And it, right. it's just, oh yeah, we, we talk about that all the it. time. 
We talk about that. Yeah. I, I had another guest who came on and we, we, she's also a mental health therapist. We talked to, we, we talked about that exact same thing. Things like narcissism mm-hmm. and personality disorders. It's not, it's talked about in school, but the actual down and dirty experiences, like the point of my show, it's not talked about those little subtle things. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, again, reach out to me, reach out to Alana and the online community is wonderful. And, and Alana, thank you so, so much. I cannot express yeah, how thank grateful you so I am much that for, you're here. I mean, I think this is such an important conversation to have for all those people who are like wondering if they're going crazy. So thank you for providing this space to share my story it's not, you know, in the span of my work, it's not the topic that I cover the most. So I'm, I'm really grateful to have an opportunity to share that aspect and hopefully my experience and my insights that, you know, are broader than just this, but can help people who are going through those kind of struggles. So I'm really, really exactly. truly grateful. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you so much.